Well, uh, you know, I am a person who believes that everybody has something unique to bring to the kingdom of God and to the world. Something extraordinary. I really believe that about every person. And some of us, you know, we spend our whole lives trying to figure that out, trying to sharpen that so that we can bring it. Who knows what I'm talking about? Some people seem to find it really early, and it's just a remarkable, remarkable blessing. Well, before I get rolling on the teaching this morning, I'm going to ask Casey Boland to come up. And Casey is, come on up, Casey. Casey, you just heard, is uh, really part of a mission in Honduras. She's going to tell you more about that tonight. But this kid here, she just is a person who, you know, from the minute I met her a number of years ago now, I just knew there was something really special about her. And she's full of the love of Jesus. She's full of faith. She's full of an expression of kindness. And I think some of her family's sitting here, so they may say, yeah, but, uh, but, <laughs> not at all is the thing. Mom's saying, no, not really. I'm right on, aren't I, Kathy? And uh, Mama's sitting right there. Raise your hand, Kathy, so everybody can see. And welcome other people who are here with Casey today. But uh, I just really want to commend this young woman now, this young woman to, to you and uh, anything that she has to say. Take it away. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> um, well, I just really wanted to use this as an opportunity to invite you today at four o'clock. Um, as I've been on the mission field, I've learned so much about the value of missions and serving and loving and pouring out everything that I have in my heart that God has given me. But a vital part of missions is giving God the glory. And God has done something incredible in my life. And he's given me a testimony that I don't feel worthy of, but he's given it to me. And so I just want to share it with you. And I'm not going to take the time to share it right now because Tom has an awesome teaching. But I want to invite you to come today at four if you can. Um, I want to share with you about the ministry I'm working with. We're working in orphan care, and we're just striving to, per, to fulfill that call of caring for orphans in their distress. And God has just given me the most precious gift of a foster son that I hope will be my son one day, fully adopted into my family. And that testimony is just of a, a testimony of healing, and it's a testimony of his love. And I would just be honored to share that with each of you today at 4 o'clock. So if you can make it, um, I would love to see you and share that with you. Thank you. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss that. You're going to want to make sure you're a part of that this, this afternoon at 4. So. so I went to bed last night, and the score was 10 to 6, and the Buckeyes were behind. And I thought, oh, Lord, please, do not make me face a congregation with a loss this morning. I mean, I'm sure every pastor in Ohio was going to sleep that night going, oh, Lord, please. Because you guys are like this whole different creature when the Bucks lose. And I get that. I'm okay with that. But it's like a huge challenge. And there's not time to like fast and pray, you know, because it happens so quickly. And, 
And I was just so glad when I got up this morning and I saw 30 to 23, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. A bye week for Michigan, but I think we're looking at that last game of the season. It's going to be like it used to be, right? Yeah, it's going to be a great, great season. So I was glad that they were able to continue on. This is my segue, continue. Continue on. Because I am going to continue with a message that I thought I was going to finish last week and didn't get finished because the Holy Spirit said, stop talking. And so I stopped talking and we just let the Holy Spirit come because that's what it was about. We're in the book of Joel in our Through the Bible series. Uh, I'm not entirely sure we're going to finish it today. Just a news flash. Because one of the things that I love about you as people is that you let the Holy Spirit be the leader here. You're never disappointed when the Holy Spirit takes authority. And so we're just going to let him continue to do that. Father, we invite your presence. It's really your service. It's your teaching. It's your word. I would never want anybody to even be interested in my words at the expense of your word. And so I pray, Father God, for the move of your Holy Spirit on this passage. I pray you'll just cause us to see with our hearts the things that can only be seen with the heart. I pray that you'll embrace us in this this majesty of your Holy Spirit and the way you want to touch us and use us in the most naturally supernatural ways in our lives and just pray that you'll come now and fulfill your perfect purposes here among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm not going to go through the context and everything that I did in the first message. If you're here and you are interested in that and you pick it up, you can pick that up online. Normally I do that in the Through the Bible stuff. I want to go right to the hot spot, which is where we left off in Joel last time. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. Let's try and read it together. You ready, church? And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy... Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a good word, isn't it? That represents an incredible paradigm shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we focused last week that that word, and afterward, after what? After Christ. After Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, came, lived a perfect life, died a voluntary death for us, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, where the Bible says he sits now ever interceding for our sins. And so after that, God said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a shift. And the shift is that I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. It was an unprecedented paradigm shift. It was a cataclysmic change, first of all, from selective to pervasive. The change was from selective to pervasive. That Previously, it was a very select group of people who encountered God in such a personal way. They were the patriarchs, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. But for rank-and-file people like us, we didn't really have that same opportunity to encounter God in such an intimate and meaningful and personal way. So, So he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. It won't just be for the selective. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people, he said. And said, in fact, he said, 
uh, even men and women, which would have been a scandalous thing for a prophet to say that God was going to pour out his spirit on women in the same way that he did men. And we only saw very few exceptional cases in the Old Testament, the Deborahs and the Ruths and the Esthers and such, that where women were really filled with the Holy Spirit in the same way that the selective men were. And so this would have been a very scandalous thing to say. But it just shows what's happening because of Jesus Christ. The, the, the veil of the temple has been torn. It's no longer about being religious. It's about being it caught up in a relationship, an intimate relationship with the Father by way of His Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means now. And it was also uh, a shift from occasional visitations to continuous manifestations. So in the Old Testament, we see they go for a long time without a visit from God, and then boom! But then they had to live on that. They had to live on the memory of that. And then in the New Testament, he said, and afterward, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and these things will continue to happen. And the New Testament is a witness to the things that continue to happen when the church is caught up by the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing has changed. That's still the same today as it was then. God still means to use the church in the same kind of power as we saw in the book of Acts. We see it, we see it. I got a text from a young man in our church last week, and he said, Tom, can you give me a call? It's important. And so I called him, hey, what's going on? He said, well, I was just out in my backyard praying. Well, there's his first mistake right there. You don't go out in your backyard and pray. You got to come to the church, don't you? You got to fold your hands and close your eyes and bow your, don't you? He went out in his backyard to pray and just spend time with God. And while he was out there, he said this word just came sort of crushing into his head, and the word was anointing. Anointing. And he's kind of, you know, just kind of getting going in the things of the Lord in in many ways. Um, And so, you know, he doesn't know that that's a cool church word yet, you know? He doesn't know that that's reserved for the initiated. You know, you just don't throw the word anointing around. And so he says, I don't know, I got this word anointing. And so then he made the second mistake. So I got out my Bible. I know. Pray, read your Bible. That's a recipe for disaster, you guys. It'll change everything. And he said he started looking up passages of anointing and stuff. And he said while he was reading it, something happened in his backyard. He said, my whole body just got hot. Now that can't be. I wasn't there to lay hands on him. How can it be by himself in the backyard with no pastor present? How could that? Are you see what I'm saying? This is, the, this is meant to be the normative experience that we encounter God in the power of his Holy Spirit in our backyards, in our cars. And so it's still on, ladies and gentlemen. He's pouring out his... Spirit on all flesh. The Holy Spirit comes and cool things happen in the church. Yes or no? Yeah. The Holy Spirit comes, exciting things happen in our lives. Yes or no? Exactly. Exactly. Now, with the coming of the Holy Spirit into a church, it also creates space for error and misuse. Um, Things can become out of balance. I don't mean out of control. I don't want to control the church. I'm not trying to control the church. But what I'm saying is they can become out of balance. And our God is a God of balance. 
He's a God of symmetry. Now, he'll come and mess up your world, but his purpose is to put it together. To put it together in a really lovely way. And so, what I want to do this morning, and I thought I'd get to last time, was to balance a misconception about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's, a, there's an error that is in the church, uh, certain portions of the church, and I want to be very careful how I give this part of the teaching because some of you are products of that movement of the church. And so I want to be very careful in saying that while I give this teaching, I am in no way invalidating an experience that you have had with the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not invalidating that. What I'm saying is that, and you'll see this in just a second. I know, big setup. Too much time setting up? Okay, let's just talk about it. Here's the elephant in the room. Here is something that is out of balance. The belief that being filled with the Holy Spirit is a second definite work of the Holy Spirit and always results in speaking in tongues. That is wrong. That's wrong. That's an imbalance. It's an imbalance that needs to be corrected, I think, for a variety of reasons. The thought that being filled with the Holy Spirit by a second definite work of the Holy Spirit means that there are people who very strongly teach that at some point you're born again, right? You come to Christ, you're born again, and you get started. You get going, you read your Bible, you pray, you do certain things. And then the the second definite work of the Holy Spirit teaching is that at some later point, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that the extreme of this is that later you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit to the point that if you are, you'll know it because you will speak in tongues. And you can begin to see the problem here. And that is that in that teaching, that if you're a person who does not have the gift of tongues, you automatically begin to wonder if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just want to take a few minutes to balance that thing out so that we can go away with a healthier perspective. That teaching of second definite work of the Holy Spirit, as evidenced by speaking in tongues, is something that came to the church out of experience, not from the Bible. So here's what happens sometimes. People have experience, and they go, well, there it is. And so they make that the experience, the doctrine, the teaching, rather than the Bible, the doctrine, and the teaching. This whole matter of second definite work and speaking in tongues arose out of something that happened in Los Angeles in 1906. And there was a a very, very uh, charismatic, uh, and I mean that kind of in the earthly sense, a very charismatic uh, pastor by the name of William Joseph Seymour, who was used by God to start what was called the Azusa Street Mission. And it it was a mission among poor, principally African American people, and uh, in, God came in mighty power to that mission. And in that mission, uh, the Holy Spirit came in such a way that lots of people were speaking in tongues. It was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so from that then became, started this belief that's sometimes called Pentecostalism, where you know, that that's, that's supposed to be what happens with everybody because it was happening so pervasively in that mission. So you see, so what happened was the experience dictated what the doctrine was rather than the Bible. Is this making sense? So now you fast forward to like the 70s 
And charismatic renewal broke out in the Catholic Church, in the Protestant Church, and there were people who were huddling up in living rooms and stuff. I know, it's insane! And the Holy Spirit was coming, and people were being energized by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of them were speaking in tongues. And then, then this then added, it, it supported that Pentecostalism and the charismatic renewal. But are you seeing what I'm saying? That what happened was a doctrine arose not from the Bible toward us, but from our experience backwards. And that's always a very dangerous way to read the Bible. And so, while both of these things, the Azusa Street Mission and the Charismatic Renewal, while both of them were, were completely legitimate moves of God, we, we ended up reading the Bible backwards. And people tend to do this when God moves. When there's a fresh move of God, People tend to do this. They tend to try to categorize it and package it and then fit it into the Bible rather than say, okay, well, what does the Bible say about what's going on and let it inform the experience? And uh, so what happens is someone will say, well, I was born again as a Baptist or as a Methodist, but I was later filled with the Holy Spirit at which time I spoke in tongues. Therefore, I conclude that it is a theological principle that being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that happens sometime after a person is born again. And you can see the fallacy of that way of reading the Bible, yes or no? I know you were up late last night, but I'm going to need a better yes. yes. Thank you, okay. It's your fault, you didn't have to watch the whole game, you knew they were going to win eventually. Trying to create theological truth that conforms to our experience instead of humbly conforming our lives to theological principle from the Bible is a recipe for disaster. And just because it was our experience doesn't mean it's normative for everybody, right? I mean, we're having a kind of unique, exciting experience as a vineyard. But that doesn't mean that the Nazarenes and the Baptists need to adopt this. God is doing different things in different parts of his body. And we need to respect that and honor that among one another. I mean, if Christ is preached, Paul said, great, right? Let's not try to mandate the little things that are kind of on the outside of the circle. And some people will argue back with me, and they will say, well, what about the three times in the book of Acts when people were filled with the Holy Spirit and people spoke in tongues? Isn't that a biblical basis? To, to say that is a complete violation of the context. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm kind of a stickler for context. Has anybody noticed that? No? Uh, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to try to interpret. Hi, Susan. I didn't know you were back from Kenya. Good to see you. Sorry. Uh, what was I saying? Context. Yes, context. Uh, to try to read the Bible and interpret it without bothering, troubling ourselves to look at what the context is, is another recipe for disaster. We can make the Bible say anything we want. Well, in a couple of those instances in Acts, just in the interest of time, in Acts chapter 2, when God poured out His Spirit on the church, what kind of tongues came? Do you know? What kind? How would you describe, define them? Yeah, they were able to speak in different earthly languages, weren't they? And why? Because there were people from all kinds of nationalities there listening to this, and this was the birth of the church, 
And, and the gospel needed to go forward at that moment really aggressively. And so God enabled these people who had never spoken these earthly languages to speak them. Because so, people were, what does the scripture say? It says, how is it that we're hearing this message in our own words? And so that is, by and large, not the kind of tongues that people are saying should happen when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. In all my encounter... I have never met anybody. I've met thousands of people with the gift of tongues. I've never met anybody who said, and I was able to speak Swahili. I have prayed for this when I've gone to India. I have prayed for this when I've gone to India. And I've just prayed, God, if I could speak Tamil, if, I could, if you could just enable me to speak Tamil, just while I'm here, it would be so cool. And I have tried out my tongues and nobody understood what I was talking about. So in context, that's, that can't be used as a basis for this second definite work thing. It's not even the same context. The second place you see that in the book of Acts, if you want to turn there, is turn to Acts chapter 19. And you're going to see there, which doesn't appear to be in my Bible today. There it is. Okay. Acts chapter 19. And Paul is in Ephesus, and in the first seven verses, when Apollos, Acts 19, when Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. So these are disciples. These are people who say, yeah, we're following Jesus. And asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now right there tells you everything you need to know about why that other doctrine is an error. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Uh, and it, the radical assumption there is that that's what happens, is when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. He asked them that. Did that happen for you? And, and so they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now that's a different matter. So in context, the church is very young, the message is going out. He goes to these Ephesian people. He meets them, and he asks them this critical question. And they said, no, we haven't even, we haven't even uh, didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. Well, Paul, then, then what baptism did you receive? Now, there's another thing for our theology. He said, Paul is assuming that they would be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you don't know who the Holy Spirit is, how could you be baptized? See? See what he's saying? So these are very logical assumptions to make from these statements. Well, John's baptism, they asked. Which John? Which John do you think, maybe? John the Baptist. Exactly. If it had been the disciple John, the Holy Spirit would have come. John the Baptist was beheaded before Christ died on the cross, had no capacity because it wasn't afterward yet. In Joel, are you following? Say yes. Better. 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 They won. So they said, well, we had John's baptism. Well, Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. So that's how we know. Remember what John the Baptist said? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus by implication, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because he said that earlier, because he said they hadn't heard about Jesus even. 
When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now they spoke in tongues because that's what the Holy Spirit was doing in the first century, in the early days of the church. So it doesn't make a case for saying that every time a person receives the Holy Spirit, that they're going to speak in tongues. Okay? I think there are big problems associated with this. The gift of tongues is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. So have you ever heard of Woody Hayes? Who's that? Well, he was a coach here. He was a beloved coach who loved smash mouth off-tackle football, wasn't he? And it was before, I mean, the, the passing game in football has, has evolved radically over the last couple decades. Am I right? And I remember Woody Hayes was once asked, how come you don't pass more? Because everybody wanted to see the pass, because it's far more exciting, isn't it? Typically more exciting. He said, because when you pass the ball, three things can happen, and two of them are bad. Are you getting this? I'll let you figure out what that means on your way home, because we don't have time to deal with that much football today. Well, what I want to say is that with an adamant view of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a second definite work resulting always in speaking tongues, four things can happen and three of them are bad. I'm going to tell you what those things are. Okay, let's start with the good. The good is that the church can be intensely energized. When the Holy Spirit comes, the church comes alive. So that's a good thing. There's no way to say that that's not a good thing. But a bad thing can happen. And the first bad thing is that a class system can easily develop. Because you have the haves and the have-nots. You have the people who speak in tongues and the people who don't speak in tongues. And so what it has is, have you received the fullness? And so there's a lot of pressure. Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And you begin to feel like a second-class Christian if you haven't. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This happens in, in virtually every setting because there are certain behaviors that are set up as this is the cool thing. And if you haven't had the cool thing, you begin to question yourself and a class system develops. And so this is a bad thing because there are no classes in the church. Do you know this? You, you look at me every Sunday, Sunday like I'm somebody. I don't know why you do this. I don't even know why you come here, to be honest with you. I'm always so grateful that one person shows up on Sunday. Because you know me. You know me, and you know how flawed I am. And yet you come. Because you have given yourself to a thought that there is no class system. That the fact that I get to do this is by God's grace. It's a simple gifting that he's given me. But it doesn't make me better than or even different than you. Except you have to get up and go to a real job every day. Okay? I work one day a week and just sit around waiting for Sunday for the rest of the week. <laughs> so that's one bad thing that can happen as a class system. A second bad thing that can happen is that people who do not have the gift of tongues can feel pressured to try to speak in tongues. Oh, man, this is so bad. It just breaks my heart when I'm in some other setting and I see this thing kind of happening. There's a huge social pressure that come on people, you know? A huge social pressure. And people, they just feel like, oh, I, I got to get this. I got to get this. I've seen situations where people have been urged to kind of help the Holy Spirit. I can help you speak in tongues right now if you want to. Just say this. I drove a Honda to Kenya. Okay? To Kenya. Just say, I drove a Honda to Kenya. Try that. Now say it fast and repeatedly. 
glory, hallelujah, charismatic renewal has just broken out in the vineyard. I have seen people say, I have, I have heard of this from reliable sources that there have been pastors who say, just say Abba, 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 Abba. You know, Abba is a word for the Father and see what happens. Look, if you're going to speak, the first time I spoke in tongues, first of all, I had never heard anybody speak in tongues. I had never been in a situation where I heard somebody. I was longing so much for God. I was in a denomination that didn't believe in speaking in tongues. I was driving in my car on my way as a part of the denomination to discipline a pastor who was having reports that his group, someone was speaking in tongues. I was on my way over the hill in Pennsylvania. I was listening to Christian music. I was just rocking it out with God. I had such a heart. Oh, God, I know, you're th- I know, it, I know there's more than this. <laughs> and these, these syllables started coming out of my mouth. And I was, at first, kind of frightened by them. They just started flowing out of my mouth. And I, to the point that I was kind of losing focus. Not a good thing to do while you're driving in the hills of Pennsylvania. And I pulled my car over. And I stopped, and I just, I could have stopped it, I believe, but I didn't want to. Once they were coming, it was like, whoa, something is happening here that's never happened to me before. And I just let them flow, flow, flow. I look down, my hands are up like this, tears are streaming down my face, and I go, oh my God, I'm a charismatic. (laughs) How did this happen? This is a sovereign move of God. I, I, didn't, I assumed it was tongues because I had no idea what I was saying. I had nothing to compare it to. <laughs> you don't have to help God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that the hand shouldn't say to the foot that because you're not a hand, you're of less value. He says there are varying gifts. God distributes them the way he wants to distribute them. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. My, my gift of tongues is a wonderful thing when I'm praying. I just love to pray. But I don't, I don't make a spectacle of it, ever, never. That's me and God. That's romance talk, you guys. That is romance language. And so uh, I'm just saying that just let yourself be yourself because I've noticed that my gift of tongues only has value in that setting. I've noticed that when I go to McDonald's that with my gift of tongues and one dollar I can get a cup of coffee, all right? So ease up on yourself because the primary purpose, I'm afraid this is going to be three messages, the primary purpose, yeah, it's going to be three. I'll do as we say, or I'll do as you say. <laughs> the primary purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not to release gifts. The primary purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is to produce fruit. I think that's next week. The other bad thing that can happen in this way is that it can create a false sense of arrival. I know people who, I listened to them talk about how they were baptized in the Holy Spirit in the 70s or whatever, and, and there is a real temptation to stop there. I got the baptism, I'm good. 
I want to tell you, the only thing that that encounter, that first encounter, that ecstatic encounter I had with the Holy, the only thing that that first ecstatic encounter I had with the Holy Spirit did was make me want thousands more. I knew I hadn't arrived. I knew the door had been opened to me for an exploration of the mysteries of God that I didn't have before. There's no arrival. There's no arrival for anyone while we're on the earth. Who, like me, is still waiting to have your first perfect day? I know. There's no arrival. It's this great journey with God. Oh, there's more, but that's enough. We're just going to do what the Holy Spirit says to do. He wants to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. You want Him to pour out His Spirit on your flesh, don't you? You want God to just do something in your life to change you. Put up that last slide for you. Would you, Nikki? It's really that your turn slide. This is really the picture of our spiritual growth. Some of you still feel like the worm. (laughs) By the grace of God, a transformation begins according to his timing, according to his grace, according to his sovereign knowledge of where he wants to take us. In every case, though, we make no progress in this journey without the Holy Spirit. We cannot read the Bible enough to talk ourselves into it. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we're just reading a book. The Holy Spirit comes, the Bible says, and enlightens us, opens the eyes of our hearts to the reading of His Word. The Holy Spirit is, an encounter with the Holy Spirit is something that your heart is craving. It's craving. Some of you are struggling with habitual sin, with addictions you just can't get free of. Your heart is craving something there. Fill in the blank. Drugs, porn, gossip, whatever. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is that's in that blank, the thing that describes your addiction, is a flipped over desire for the Holy Spirit. There's there's just a hunger that you can't satisfy. This is the devil's answer. The devil's answer to our desire for the Holy Spirit are destructive addictions. And so if you're there... It's a matter of saying, Lord, would you capture my addiction? Would you come? Would you come and get hold of that? And I don't like to use the phrase, let's get addicted to Jesus, but there's kind of a, there's kind of a reality there in terms of let's get hungry for the Lord in those spots. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I just pray for every person, man, woman, and young person in this room right now. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. It's your church, Lord. They're your beloved sheep. We are the sheep of your pasture. Just have a moment with the Lord and just ask Him if I'm right. Ask Him. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We are happy to gather ourselves in the same place so that you can come and fulfill the promise that where we come together in your name that you come among us.
thank you that no one came to hear a sermon. No one came to sing a song. No one came to have fellowship of the saints apart from finding you. I just see a table set before us in the spirit. I just see this great, great table set before us with all the greatest kinds of foods. And the, the Lord, the Father, is sitting at the table and he's just saying, come. Come to the table and eat, eat what I've prepared for you. God has plans to prosper you for hope and a future. Plans to build you up. Plans to rescue you from the strategies of the enemy. Plans to use you uniquely and powerfully for his kingdom and some part of the earth. All of these things are predicated on the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There are, there's not a class of Christians spirit-filled and regular. There's only one kind of Christian. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man for a second time enter into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he'll not see the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, come for a fresh outpouring of that third person of you, that mystery of you. I'd like to invite those of you who'd like to just be part of a group prayer up here right now to be filled with the Holy Spirit, be refreshed. Maybe for the first or the thousandth time, but you can recognize this hunger that you have to encounter God in a way that you would know in the present manifestation of His Holy Spirit. If you'd like to receive prayer for that, then I'm going to ask you to get up from where you are and come. You may stand, you may sit, you may kneel, you may do what is in your heart to do. Just follow. Don't look at anybody else. Just follow what's in your heart to do. If you guys could come over here, unless you're going to the steps, it'd be easier to pray for you if you're kind of grouped up a little bit. to tell you about a dream a dream that I had this week I don't dream a lot so I got to tell you this because last week when I was preaching on this passage that the old men will dream dreams and the young men will see visions and I kind of joked and I said I think I might be crossing over into the second category at this point so it was on uh, I think must have been Tuesday night I had this dream, and it was so vivid. And we were all gathered together. 
we were in this building, I think, I'm pretty sure, but the chairs weren't here. And there were just like groups of you in this room and you were down the children's wing halls and stuff and groups and the Holy Spirit was just pouring himself out on this church. And what I was doing was I would run from group to group in this dream. And I would get there about one second late. So I just remember this one vivid scene from the dream. There were a pile of you. You were standing. You became a pile because when I when I walked up, the Holy Spirit, I could just I could almost see him in this dream. But everybody just went crashing down to the ground, like the whole clump of you. And then when I came to every scene, though, here's the part that I'm a little embarrassed to say. I was always a second late, and I felt bad about that. So I would say, "Come, Holy Spirit." As though, as the pastor, it were somehow I should have been there. And I would run to the next thing and God would be doing something and I'd see that it had just started. And so I would say, come Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's so embarrassing to say this that I, I felt in this dream like I should have been there. And I kept running to these four or five different scenes until it dawned on me. I should believe what I preach. I don't need to be there. It's not about me. But it's about what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. Holy Spirit, come. <laughs> That's all. Holy Spirit, come. <laughs> if we want to have some prayer, people who are trained to pray, come up behind these people and pray for them. Come on up. Come on up. Let's pray. <laughs>